Hello. What's up? Welcome to the Fast God Stuff Podcast, where we make biblical theology simple, practical, and fun so that we can love God and others more. I'm Conrad, and my favorite animated movie of all time is Iron Giant. Good choice. And I'm Jesse, and I like grilled cheese made with mayonnaise and not butter. Good choice. We're just two guys trying to follow Jesus, hanging out in the studio with our Bibles and guitars. We take just 30 minutes to chat about a theological topic and renew our minds with the good things of Christ. It's fast, God. Conrad, what are we chatting about today? Today we're going over weird stories in the Bible. Two, three, four, weird stories in the Bible. Ooh, 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 ooh. Weird stories in the Bible. Some are so weird. <laughs> so dumb. So let's get after it, Conrad. Why are we even talking about this today? So we're going over weird stories in the Bible in an effort to explain some of the most enigmatic and interesting passages Mm -hmm. and to be silly. Well, mainly to be silly. I love this so much. So let's do it. Okay. So my first weird story in the Bible is Elisha and the bears. Have you heard this one? Is it the one with the porridge? Like how many bears are we talking about? There's two bears. Two bears? Yes. But there's not just one kid. There's a lot of kids, and they get mauled, maybe killed. (laughs) It is awkward. Okay, so I'll just go right to the passage. It's only two verses long. So the story is actually, like, interesting. So um, why it's even in her. So 2 Kings 2, 23 to 24. I'll just read it straight up. Then Elisha went up from there to Bethel, and he was going up the road. Some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. The end. (laughs) That's that's, that's the story. Oh, so you might be wondering, why is this in the Bible? If you could just give us a benediction, I feel like we could end this podcast right now. So what is what actually makes this story even more interesting is I think the King James actually calls them basically kids, like little children. Mm. For most people, when they think of this, they're like, oh, like little kids, like preschoolers or whatever, right. made fun of somebody for being bald. And then Boom. this guy cursed them. And then these kids were killed by bears. So that's kind of like the, what people kind of mostly think of this, this passage. But that, that could be because this story is about kids getting killed by bears. <laughs> and they'd be right. It's two verses. <laughs> so with these two verses, there's actually a lot more than that. So Bethel, the place that we're talking about, um, for one thing, Elisha is a, is a prophet, like right. after Eli- Elijah. And Eli- Elijah got taken up into heaven on chariots of fire with a soundtrack going on of chariots of, of fire. Chariots of fire. Of Vangelis, <laughs> as That's where we get the song from. It's actually... We were a- actually able to... It's in the Hebrew. Yes. it was. We actually have the notes from, from the Hebrew. That is fantastic. Yeah, so, um, Every so, day is a school day. So he went up... Elijah, the teacher of Elisha, went up into heaven. And then Elisha was left by himself. And so he went around basically telling people to turn from their idolatry. Now, Bethel was one of the capitals of this idolatry. So he's going there to tell these people to repent. But... A bunch of what, you know, the Bible called youths, which actually is probably more college age guys. And it's probably a whole gang of them. 
Now, we know that 42 of them were injured, but assuming that some of them weren't injured, we're talking about a gang of college-age idolaters going, hey, we don't want you here, you man of God. Why don't you go up with Elijah? Go up to heaven. Ah. Get out of here. So it was like the worst insult ever because they were like, you go to heaven. <laughs> oh, wait, that's dumb. Oh, uh, baldy. You and your bald head. Yeah, exactly. The bald head was just kind of like a personal insult. It, the main insult was like, get out of here. We don't want you and your God. Why don't you just follow Elijah up to heaven? Because we don't even believe in that nonsense. And then to you know make things worse, they basically just called him a dork or fatty or whatever. But he happened to be bald, so they called him bald head. So that's basically the story there. And that's kind of like the, um, what really happened. Okay, Jesse, so what's the application in all this? And I thought I'd approach this in, approach this in uh, the, the most common way Americans approach the Bible is, what does this passage mean to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now we have to interpret this passage. And the science of interpreting the Bible is this fun word called hermeneutics. So there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. The right way is to find out its original meaning, what God intended. The wrong way is actually the more common way Christians approach it and say, what does this passage mean to me? So basically, forget God's intended meaning. I'm going to make one up. So the technical term for this, making this thing up, is called existential hermeneutics. So I'm going to approach my interpretation using this incorrect and common method to illustrate how ridiculous it is to approach scripture this way. That is a rock solid. Yeah. Let's hear it, Conrad. So basically, Elisha proclaimed a curse on these guys, and then two bears came out. He did. So I think there's an application in all this. So I think what it means is whenever you are approached by wild animals, mm -hmm. there is probably a curse on you, and the weight of the curse is in direct proportion to the ferocity of the animal that you're coming into, into contact with. <laughs> so like, you know, bears, that's... That's pretty that's hardcore. That's a big sin, right? Yeah. So, you know, that was like, they were mocking God's people. So, Jesse, in the last podcast that you mentioned that you ran into a moose four times. That is factually correct. Okay. So, I think that we can actually figure oh out. Oh my gosh. It's time for confession for me. Yeah. Like, a moose can I, hurt you. Yeah. Seriously. That, that is a seriously big animal. You can sometimes drive a car underneath it. So, what sin could I possibly have committed that I could drive a car underneath? Yeah, and the thing is, the this curse was repeated four times. So it's I think it's what God is saying. It's the same. It's the same sin that's been repeated four times. So I'm thinking like something that you're addicted to, like gambling, or like drugs or alcoholism. <laughs> this is we were doing a podcast. This suddenly turned into an intervention where now I have to confess all my deep dark fourfold sins. Yeah. This so, so well, maybe we shouldn't speculate in that, but I think I'm the thing so is God now. is trying to actually tell you something because he, that's part of, you know, the biblical thing is things are repeated for emphasis. Yeah. I like how you said that's part of the biblical thing. Cause you know, that's like God is called his holy, holy, holy. That's repeated in the Hebrew for emphasis. You're right. And, and you know, so for you, for moose, 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 moose. Right. God is really trying to tell you something. Well, it's also not the first animal that I've almost literally run into while going for a run. So this happens a lot to me with rabbits. Like, should I be concerned? What is the rabbit sin? Yes. Okay. So that's a much smaller sin. It's a much smaller curse that you have to deal with. And it's a much <laughs> smaller sin. So that's probably, that's probably more like you're complaining about something a lot. That's very true. Yeah. So, and then even like the thing that you'll run into the most is, it's 
what I run into the most is probably squirrels. So that's, you know, my sin isn't all that bad. If you hit your sin with a car, what does that mean? Well, that means that it actually crossed your path. Fortunately, like those kids in, in Second Kings or whatever, they didn't have a vehicle protecting them. But right. the bear came to them in modern days. If you were in a car, you would, you would come in, in contact with them, but your car would kind of protect you. It's the, same, it's the same application, though. They just didn't have anything to defend themselves with. What does it mean if I go into somebody's home and I see their sin clearly then mounted on the wall? Well, then they've defeated their sin. Oh, like, so you've got to actually shoot it, tag it, bring it home, mount it, and that's victory. Over that curse. But there are other ways to get rid of the curse. And this is, this is probably like the, the biggest takeaway from all this is there's ways to actually get rid of your curse. Okay. And so I've done a lot of study in this. I, clearly, you're well equipped. <laughs> so dealing with curses is an exact, <laughs> inexact science. And so I, I'm just learning this. So I wanted to no, share my findings about curses. Please, we're all waiting. Okay, so wild animals crossing your path is really only one of the signs of curses. And um, the way that we get a, a taxonomy of curses is we, we can just go to the 10 plagues of Egypt. And <laughs> do you remember some of, the, some of the, the curses? This is the best Bible study I've <laughs> ever done. It, I'm only getting started. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad. A taxonomy of curses. Let's go to Egypt. Okay, so uh, what are some of the plagues that we so have? We got, we got blood. We got death of the firstborn is the big one. We've uh -huh. got frogs, frogs and gnats. 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 Okay, oh, I see where you're yeah, going. Two, two okay. of them animals. What else? up what you're throwing down. Yeah, flies, insects, flies? And, uh, and locusts. So in our taxonomy of curses, a lot of them are animal based. So you can kind of see how this bear thing actually just fits into uh, the category of animal curses. Mm -hmm. So that's where we start. But now we have to figure out how to get rid of these curses. So I think the first category of getting rid of curses are what are considered warding symbols. So like symbols that you place on your person or on like a vehicle or, or, or on a house. In modern days, the first <laughs> no idea where this is going. The first is so warding great. symbol is the Jesus fish that people put on their cars. Oh, that's why people I yeah. see that everywhere. Yeah. So most people think that Christians put them on their cars to prove to the world how terrible we are at driving and how inconsiderate we can be. Yeah. But that's actually that's not the case. Thought. It's actually a warding symbol. And you usually put them on your car because that's when you usually run into animals. That makes sense now. So now it not only protects you, but it also protects your entire family. So it's actually the symbol it's the, is what wards off the curse. Now, um, there's a second category of uh, warding symbols, and it's Christian tattoos. Mm. So, you know, we're talking about Bible verses mainly. The reason why people get tattoos a lot of times is it's to ward off some of these, these curses. but. Uh, there's more to it. Your Bible verse tattoo could be nullified by other tattoos, namely tribal tattoos, <laughs> barbed wire tattoos, and then for you girls, butterfly tattoos. Oh, that's that's so great. So you're saying that is there any strength to the language in which I have the Bible verse? Yes, tattoo? yes. Depending on which which verse, some verses hold more more power than other ones. Okay. Okay. So the next category is incantations. Modern versions of incantations are actually songs themselves. So if you leave it up to me to interpret the Bible, I think what it says is that if you have a curse, the thing that nullifies it the quickest and the fastest and the most powerful one 
are Striper songs. This makes perfect sense to me. Yes. I love some Striper. If you had to pick one song, it would have to be To Hell With The Devil. Absolutely. So if you had to pick one album, it would be To Hell With The Devil, along with the first two albums. They, they work really well, too. But anything after To Hell With The Devil, um, they just don't work as well. But then the thing is, you have to use, you have to listen to it with speakers um, and not headphones because you need, the music needs to wash over your body and not because, you know what I mean? It has to affect your soul and yeah, it has to vibrate through your entire body. Sense. You need to get pickled in it. Like you, you need to get marinated yeah. straight up in some striper. Now, on the flip side, other people would think that Chris Tomlin songs would work really well. But my personal interpretation says that it actually does the opposite. <laughs> Chris Tomlin is the barbed wire of tattoos. Yeah, and it seems like it actually builds up a resistance to curses. Really? Yeah, and I don't really want to condemn Chris Tomlin songs, but to me, at least, my personal interpretation is that they actually might, might be curses in and of themselves. Interesting. And my evidence for this is the song called God's Great Dance Floor. <laughs> <laughs> Which nobody even knows what's happening in that song. Now, listen, listen to the, the lyrics of the chorus. Okay. I feel alive. I come alive. I am alive on God's great dance floor. Yeah, that's... That's a curse, isn't it? Yeah. It's... <laughs> <laughs> if for a lot of people, including me, who the last thing I'd want to do is probably be caught dancing and then dancing on a dance floor. Absolutely. Okay. So the last category uh, to get rid of curses are blessed objects. And I'll tell you the most powerful way to get rid of curses. So you know how, uh, like during communion, the communion trays are in, they're like circular and they're kind of concentric circles. Yes. Well, there is one in the direct center of the communion tray. That bullseye communion cup. Yeah, that is a powerful, powerful cup. And if you grab the one in the middle, that it will completely get rid of your curse. Absolutely. Like the last time I got the center one, I did not so much as see an animal for 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> that is exceptional. <laughs> I, I, I'm just totally beyond words because not only does that make as much sense as I can possibly conjure, the, it, it's biblical in its proportions and in its length of time. So that's what you want to go for. And if, you're, if you don't go to a church with the circular communion cup trays, well, then you, you need to go to a different church. Oh, that I, I honestly thought you were going to go somewhere else, but that just makes a lot more sense yeah. than what I thought you might say. That that's that, that that's where all that the would power be more is. Gracious. <laughs> <laughs> that makes more sense. <laughs> so I know we're kind of like joking around a lot, but basically what we're doing is we're actually just making fun of existential hermeneutics, which really is how most Christians approach the Bible of going, "What does this message mean to me?" And right. so, like, if you go down that road, man, you can just, you can take any passage and just make it ridiculous, as we just did. Yeah. So. You can't ever go, what does this passage mean to me? So, Jesse, how should we approach the Bible? So this reminds us that the Bible is absolute truth. And that means we really do our best in understanding and interpreting the Bible when we seek for the meaning that God intended for it by asking who wrote it, to whom did they write it, and why did they write it? Right. So basically, the Bible has a specific meaning that God meant. And what a lot of Christians do, what I see them do, even small groups, they're like, oh, we're going to you know, go discuss the Bible. A lot of times they're just saying, we're going to sit around and say, what does this passage mean to me? Exactly. They're reading themselves into the text rather than the other way around. Exactly. So don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't be like us as we just demonstrated yeah. there. Yeah. So let's transition from going, what does this passage mean to me and place the passage back into proper context. 
So when we zoom out of these two verses and place them alongside of other examples in scripture, we find that Israel gets into a cycle of idolatry. And this is just one of the many examples where God, in his justice, punishes idolaters and those who spurn his word. So here's my 15-second Fast God Stuff summary. People become uncomfortable with passages like this, Elisha and the Bears, thinking it minimizes God's love, when really that thinking minimizes both the terribleness of our sin and God's holiness. Without Christ's righteousness applied to us, we all deserve much more than a bear attack. Yes, God is love, but God is also holy, righteous, and just, which is the reason why Christ, through love, satisfied justice for those who believe. Have you ever seen a possum, though? Because there's a freaky-looking animal. Yeah, they, they are, but usually they're dead. Oh, so well, somebody's conquered their sin, right? All right. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's go. Let's move on. Okay, so Jesse, what is the weird story in the Bible that came into your mind? One of the great weird Bible stories that came into my mind is something I'm calling the story of the original talking donkey. Oh, so kind of like the movie Shrek. It, well, exactly like Sh Shrek, except this is the original talking donkey. Okay. And I like this because it reminds me of a quote by G.K. Chesterton, that very famous theologian. This is the quote time for our podcast today. Time. And he once said, truth, of course, must of necessity be stranger than fiction, for we have made fiction to suit ourselves. And that's what makes this story so strange, because it's better than if you could have written it. This actually happened. So here's the setup. The Israelites were marching into the promised land, and they're conquering cities, they're winning battles, they're just crushing, because God is fulfilling the promises to them to take over the land that he said he would give them. Okay. And the Moabite king is getting really nervous about this. Because he's worried he's going to have to get into some big old confrontation yeah, with Israel. Yeah. And they're just crushing. I don't know if I can say that again. Crushing right crushing. now. They're killing it. Uh, pun intended. So he summons the, the Moabite king. He summons this guy named Balaam, who is a famous sorcerer and false and pagan prophet, to come and put a curse on the Israelites. We're back to curses again. All right. Yeah. So, so this is it. all thematic. Yeah. It's so scripturally based. It's, we just can't get away from the curses. And animal curses. Yeah, animal curses. Another animal. This is another animal is another curse. Okay. People, we cannot make this up. It's in the Bible. So God's anger is kindled against Balaam because he accepts a job offer to go and curse Israel in exchange for straight cash. And so God is obviously very upset with this. And mm -hmm. the way that God decides to deal with this problem is he sends an angel to literally stand in Balaam's path to block the journey from him traveling to go see this Moabite king. Uh-huh. So here's what goes down. So, Mo, so Balaam is on his donkey and an angel, God drops an angel right in his pathway. And ironically, the only person who can see the angel is the donkey. So the oh. donkey, seeing an angel with a giant sword, decides, <laughs> I'm just going to veer off the road a bit because there's an angel with a giant sword in our path. And I feel like this would be wise for both of our yeah. lives. Balaam, not seeing this, is like instantly angry. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to get an animal to try to obey you, but when that doesn't happen, there is like instant rage. Yeah. <laughs> Brutus, my dachshund, does that all. He, he only pleases himself. There's, there's no telling him what to but do. But see, here's the thing about that. We don't actually know. Again, interpreting this passage in this kind of experiential hermeneutic, we don't know if God is using Brutus to save your life. Yeah, or there's angels all around here. Yeah, angels with swords on dance floors, on your patio, you're taking him out. He's just trying to help you. But you know that frustration? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's crazy. Yes. <laughs> It'll make you instantly mad if you can't get an animal to do the thing that you wanted to do. So it's being disobedient. So he, of course, strikes the donkey to try to get it back on the road. So next, the angel of the Lord actually stands in the middle of this narrow path with a wall on either side. And the donkey sees the angel, of course, and she pushes against the wall to try to weasel through some space. And in doing so, absolutely crushes Balaam's foot against the wall. Yeah. Now, if you've ever had an animal, no matter how cute or innocent the animal is, somehow hurts you or make you yeah. feel pain. Also, all you want to do is punch everything in sight. Yeah. <laughs> Again, zero to 60 on the rage factor. Have you ever had that happen? Um, it happens all the time with Brutus and it happens on a daily basis. He poops all the time in the wrong places <laughs> or he'll get up at the wrong time in three o'clock in the morning and he just, he does all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. So disobedient donkey, now a donkey that's actually inflicted pain on him, crushed his ankle. So again, he strikes the donkey and I'm sure like he is letting the donkey have it. Yeah. Like if you, if you've just gotten hurt, you're going to really go after it. So finally... The angel of the Lord just goes ahead and stands in this narrow place where there's no way to get by. And the donkey actually decides this, I can't do this anymore. And actually lays down under Balaam <laughs> and he is straight furious. So here's where the story picks up. Here's where it reaches the zenith of its weirdness. And this is in Numbers 22. And Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me with these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. <laughs> so what was, what was uh, Balaam's first reaction? <laughs> Well, yeah, what's so, the first thing out of his mouth? Here's what's crazy. The first thing he says is, uh, because you have made a fool of me. When okay. the donkey confronts him. So, putting myself in Balaam's shoes, the first thing that out of my mouth would have probably been, ah! <laughs> Yeah. Notice he's not like, wow, a talking donkey. Yeah, not only is, is clearly like he a decent conversationalist, but with animals, also really good at carrying on conversation and is not phased by this whatsoever. So I would also have to imagine that he doesn't sound like Eddie Murphy, but like what, like what <laughs> accent would he have? Like everyone has an accent. So would he be speaking to Balaam in his own Moabite accent? I'd like to think that the donkey was really sarcastic and w was kind of like, like, I hope there's a little bit more even to this passage that we don't know that wasn't important for us to know, but something like the extent of the donkey being like, are you serious right now? Like, what, yeah. what, are we really going to do this? Do you not see the angel? And what's ironic is Balaam is so blinded by this. He actually says, I wish I had a sword. I, if I were the donkey, I'd be like, dude, there is a guy with a sword pointed <laughs> at your face right now. Really? We're going to do this right here. So that, that's why I love this because it shows like his complete and utter ignorance and the fact that God uses this donkey to totally shame Balaam. Like, it, it should, we should read this passage and then stop, close our Bibles, and be like, wow, in that passage, the donkey was the most Christian character yeah. <laughs> in the entire account. Balaam wants to curse the Israelites. Moab's trying to kill everybody. And the donkey is saying, listen, listen, there's, God is trying to tell you something. I wonder if Brutus is actually trying to tell us something, to tell me something, and I'm just too dumb to understand what he's saying. 
in his mind, it's like in a British accent. He's like, Conrad, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Repent of your sins. That's not a British accent. I'm just talking higher. Cut, I'm terrible at all, accent. All the British people listening to the <laughs> show. <laughs> and that's what Brutus is doing. And I'm just too dumb. I actually think it's possible that Brutus is trying to tell you something. It, an angel has possessed him. Yeah. This, is, is there angel possession? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But, but that seems par for the course today right. with, with everything <laughs> else that we talked it. about. <laughs> Let's go with it. Existential hermeneutics. So what's odd is we hear that there's this, there's this little exchange between Balaam. He says a little bit more after that, but basically he realizes that he must come under the purview of God as he goes on this journey. He still makes the journey, but in the end, spoiler alert, he ends up blessing Israel rather than ah, cursing them. There you go. But he's totally humbled because again, here we have the diviner, the guy who is famous because he's actually commissioned out from a foreign yeah, land to right. come to Moab, to travel all this way. He's big time important. And this guy can't see the angel in his own path. He has to rely on his donkey to do it. So there's a lot of humility here coming before the Lord in humility that he would just miss all of this. And Conrad, as your brother, I don't want that for you. I, I want Brutus to speak loud and clearly into your life. Yeah, I, I need to listen better. Well, do you, do you guys have a pet? We don't. Uh, well, then that's you're, you're, I, I you're don't probably missing out. No, it's I don't want them talking to me. So that's why as soon as well, I read You don't this... want to be convicted of your sin, <laughs> but the sin that the moose is trying to tell you. Why is this always going back to my sin on this podcast? <laughs> because I'm, I don't want to talk about my sin. <laughs> that's what you, we do. We focus on other people's sins so we don't see our own. We should have kept track of all the lessons we were explaining tonight. There's just been so many good lessons between sin deflection and animals and all these things. That's what happens when you get two theologians that are also eight-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> so here's some of the things that I think we can actually take away from this story that actually are important. One would be, quite seriously, to realize that God is in control of all things. Mm -hmm. He can use all things. And he's really good at using the circumstances of our life to communicate to us. So sometimes it's important to take inventory and say, what's going on in my life right now? What might God be using to get it my attention? Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's pain. Sometimes that's difficult circumstances. Sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes it's stress. But always God has a plan, even here, even with a donkey, even with a guy who's going to curse Israel, mm -hmm. nothing is beyond his redemption. But more than that, nothing is beyond the actual plan that he's put into place. Right. Yeah. He is God. Everything's under his control. Right. Exactly. So here's the 15 second fast God summary. God is good at getting people's attention in ways that make sense in their own culture and circumstances. Prophecies, plagues, stars, burning bushes, fingers writing on the wall, talking animals, God is sovereign, and he can use anything he wishes to convey his important message. So I hope you enjoyed these weird Bible stories. And mostly we're having a little bit of fun because we recognize that first that the scriptures are important, they are serious, but God has also given us these great stories to help us appreciate his word more yeah. and to reflect on the fact that he is a God who has created all of our emotions, including humor. And so it's good for us to be able to laugh and at the same time be encouraged and to be spurred on toward loving others and loving him better. Yeah. And also we were kind of poking fun at ourselves because at one point or another, all Christians, including us, take the Bible out of context and come up with our own meaning. You know, kind of just proves that it's really dangerous when you do it that. It is dangerous. And it ends up making you look silly. Yes. That's actually not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> good night, everybody. 
<laughs> well, that's all the time, thankfully, we have oh, for today. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe and rate the Fast God Stuff podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you like to podcast. Also, check out FastGodStuff.com for all kinds of content that will remove any curse that has been placed upon you. Yes. Until next time, love God. Love others. That's, that's it. it. Two, three, four. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Fast God Stuff. Avoid the curses. Avoid the curses. By playing the solo, Jesse. Chase away that curse. I'll chase it away. All right, comment, you're out. Rock it out. Oh, that's good. Ha <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>